Alexa, what is diet culture? Here's something I found on the web. According to thriveglobal.com, diet culture is a set of beliefs that worship thinness and particular body shapes. This is Dr. Aaron Nitschke. This is Dr. Darian Parker. This is Decoding Diet Culture. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding Diet Culture Season 2. In this season, we are focusing on breaking down some of the different fad diets and dietary eating styles that are popular or have been popular at certain times. We're looking at the history or the inception of it, how it's marketed, the summary of the protocol or what's involved in in the plan, what considerations you might want to think about or faults or flaws, and then kind of some take-home messages. So in this episode, we're talking about the paleo diet. So the theory behind this diet, it's, it's also referred to as the caveman or stone age diet, is to really solve the ills human space by revisiting the way we used to eat in the paleolithic era, which was more than 2 million years ago. This diet did seem to hit a peak of popularity around 2014, and it really capitalized on consumers' desires to have better eating habits and eat more healthfully and, and really have an idea of where their food is coming from which is not, there's nothing wrong with wanting to boost that nutritional quality or be an informed consumer. And as a health and fitness professional, I certainly coach my clients towards being aware consumers, being informed and also focusing on that nutrient density. But there are some questions with this diet as there are with any eating style or, or dietary pattern. So the way it's marketed, the proponents really believe that genetics and our anatomy haven't really changed or evolved a lot since the stone age. And therefore we should all be consuming foods that were available during that time to promote that good health. But these proponents are also kind of neglecting the fact that agriculture was non-existent 2 million years ago. Um, and we also have to keep in mind that the lifespan and quality of life was pretty low for those, those individuals that did live in that caveman era. They had plenty of health issues that we don't necessarily deal with today. So in looking at the protocol, the diet generally includes things like lean meats, fish, fruits, veggies, nuts, and seeds, which are all great things. Those are all things that the current dietary guidelines do promote. So we can't discount that. And low glycemic foods are emphasized in this particular diet. However, There is debate about what types of foods might have actually existed during the Paleolithic era, such as the modern day fruits and veggies that we have now are considerably different because they're domestically grown and produced versus found in the wild. And we don't have to rely on hunting and gathering at this point. And so it really makes it difficult to find consensus on what this diet allows and what it doesn't based on the mindset or perspective of whomever is promoting it. So one example, white potatoes were recorded as being available during the paleolithic era, but they're generally avoided on the paleo diet because of their higher glycemic index. Technically processed foods aren't allowed on this diet either, but it does allow for frozen fruits and veggies. And there is a process involved in that, in the freezing process to ensure that 
they are, these fruits and veggies are picked at their peak ripeness, peak nutrient content, and then frozen in order to preserve that. So there is a process involved. Every food has a process, right? The, the milk we get from cows has a process from getting to the cow to Albertsons or Safeway or wherever your market is. So that's also a question. The foods that are generally not allowed include things like whole grains, your cereals, refined grains and sugars, which makes sense. Um, dairy products, those white potatoes, legumes, alcohol, coffee, even salt, or your refined vegetable oils like canola oil. And of course, again, not promoting or emphasizing processed foods in general. So overall, there are some, some positives with some of the food items selected, but some potential pitfalls. So let's, let's look a little bit at those. So there's some pretty intense meal planning because, because the diet relies so heavily on fresh foods, again, not a bad thing, but these types of foods take really ample time to prepare. And it might mean having to learn new cooking skills. So if somebody is intimidated in the cooking process and maybe doesn't have equipment, doesn't have tools, doesn't have the skills, this can be really overwhelming. The diet does tend to carry a higher cost, especially in today's market. So fresh fruit, fruits, um, fresh meats, fish, and all that produce tend to be pricier than the frozen versions. Um, additionally, I think we need to give some consideration about what the availability of these types of foods are in more isolated areas of the country. So places that aren't next to a coast, are they, how fresh is the fish? Um, if there's not an extensive agricultural industry, how fresh is the produce and how long does it last? So there are some thoughts there when it comes to rural or frontier isolation. Another thing to consider is the exclusion of certain foods can be a concern because it starts to beg the question, if nutrient deficiencies are seen such as calcium, you know, no dairy products are included in this, the vitamin D and the B vitamins, they could be present or crop up. There's also a really high meat intake, which some studies have shown in the past that a higher intake of specifically red meat is linked to a higher risk of death, cardiovascular disease, and diabetes. So that's something to also kind of put a question mark in your mind and, and just encourage you to do a little bit deeper research. So really, if we're looking at a bottom line, so the diet does include nutrient dense foods and fresh whole foods. This is awesome. It also does not emphasize those highly processed foods that contain those things that we do want to try to limit, such as that added salt and added sugar, and then our, our really unhealthy fats, like those trans fats, those man-made fats. However, there is concern about omitting certain food groups and how that could relate to those potential nutrient deficiencies. The diet may also be too restrictive to be considered sustainable by some. And again, we've got that whole issue of the meal prepping and meal planning, et cetera. And because it uses these fresh products, what about the food waste part and, and how the frequency of having to obtain those fresh, fresh ingredients all the time. The one thing too, to, to know about this diet is it does not focus on calorie counting or or portion sizes, which is great because some can find that very arduous to have to track all that and measure. And I mean, it's time consuming for sure. We also have to point out some research efforts on the paleo because there is some 
there is a body of literature. So, so far, some research has shown that this type of eating style could produce these greater short-term benefits than diets based on national guidelines, which is pretty interesting. And those benefits could include a greater weight loss, reduced waist circumference, decrease in blood pressure, increase in insulin sensitivity. So how your body deals with glucose and sugar and improved cholesterol. But these studies also lasted six months or less, and the sample size involved in those studies, so the number of participants was less than 40. So that doesn't give us a good way to generalize the results. There is another larger random randomized controlled trial, which uh, followed 70 postmenopausal Swedish women with that were suffering from obesity for a period of two years who did the paleo protocol or in in Swedish areas, Nordic nutrition recommendation diet. So the NNR, the paleo diet provided a breakdown of 30% calories from protein, 40 from 40% from fat and 30% from carbs. The Nordic plan overall provided less protein and fat, but more carbs. So that breakdown was about 15% protein, 25 to 30% fat and 55 to 60% of carbs. But this, the NNR also included low fat dairy products and high fiber grains, which explains why there's more carbohydrates on the NNR. Both groups though, had decreased fat mass and waist circumference at the six month and 24 month marks with the paleo actually producing a greater fat loss at the six month mark, but interestingly, not at the 24 month mark trigger the triglyceride levels, which is the storage form of fat in the body. And we can test that with a blood test, um, decreased more with the paleo diet compared to the NNR. So kind of interesting there. So just as a recap and questions to consider, what's the potential for nutrient deficiencies when following this type of diet for longer than a year, which brings up another question question. Is it actually appropriate for those groups that might be at risk for things like osteoporosis, if no dairy products are involved. So it begs the question of what's the vitamin, um, the vitamin D intake, like what's the calcium intake, like, so a second question is what are the long-term effects of eliminating any, any food group? And since legumes and whole grains and things like that are not included, are we low on fiber? And then if the diet is not emphasizing portion sizes, how does somebody know they're getting enough fiber from those fresh sources of fruits and veggies? And then how do these benefits translate to multiple populations? We can't really say with any amount of certainty of evidence that this would be a great diet for everybody to follow. So as we always say, anytime you're thinking about exploring some sort of new dietary eating style, or you've seen something on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or whatever your preferred social media outlet is, you really want to go to a qualified professional. And, and really that includes a registered dietitian being able to provide medical nutrition therapy, nutrition counseling, all of those things. If you are working with a health and fitness professional, it's certainly appropriate for you to explore your curiosities and bring up questions, but they should refer you to a registered dietitian. Should you want to learn something more and maybe do a deeper nutrient analysis, dive into your own personal intake. So always consider that. And we just want to encourage that you do quality research, go to PubMed, go to organizations, uh, like 
colleges that have research institutes associated with them. Google Scholar is another one. And of course, like ask a registered dietitian or a qualified health and fitness professional that can point you in the right direction. And we look forward to seeing you next time on another episode.